Okay, you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Uh, all right, welcome to Grounded and Soaring, our new podcast that explores how we might raise healthy kids in a too often unhealthy world, which is sort of the tagline of our new website called Grounded and Soaring. Um, I'm Terry DeVoe. I'm the Director of Communications and Story at Red Montessori School. And this is our first episode of this little adventure we're on. And uh, the idea is that uh, the podcast and the website is uh, trying to engage with parents on issues and topics that matter most to them. And sometimes the topics will be broad, like how best to help kids navigate our media-saturated world. And sometimes they'll relate to more specifically Let's relate more specifically to Montessori education, like today's episode. And so today I'm joined by Minnie Wales, who is the Director of Education for Elementary here at Red Montessori. Hello, Minnie. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. This is a strange little adventure, but we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. All right. So uh, there are a lot of families out there who are part of our Montessori community or families who are thinking about Montessori education. So we wanted to talk a little bit today about how we might help children build skills and confidence and understanding and knowledge um, through practical life, right? And so that's a very common part of the Montessori education. And so for those who aren't accustomed to Montessori classrooms, and they might be a little curious about why children are cooking and cleaning and sewing and all of that. So... Um, I know there's a lot behind the cupcakes that students are making, so let's talk about that at like 20,000 feet. Can you talk a little bit about what Dr. Montessori noticed about children's desire to participate in the world around them? Sure. Um, You know, it's funny. When I first looked at this question, I went right to the elementary and that they're looking at the social world around them, but I'll back it up a little bit um, to the uh, first plane or toddler and primary children. And I think what Montessori noticed about the young children is that they wanted to figure out how to operate physically in the world around them. So they wanted to figure out how to how to be successful physically in the spaces that they're occupying. And a lot of it was just how to learn how to be independent for their, themselves. They want to know how to be able to blow their nose on their own and they want to know how to be able to wash their hands on their own. Um, And so a lot of it is about caring for themselves. Um, And then once they've got those self-care skills down, they want to know how to help care for their classroom environments. And they want to really think about how to care for the space, how to take care of their plants and et cetera. And and so lots of those practical life activities in in the first plane classrooms are about just how to operate in the physical space. And how to care for the physical space and around the, you. And the observation was that this is a natural tendency, right? That Absolutely. children want this. Yeah. Um, in sort of parenting, do we sometimes uh, support this or do we uh, squelch it sometimes? <laughs> we sometimes squelch it. Um, I, I think as parents, often we don't leave ourselves enough time to be able to allow our children to be independent. Um, in their spaces, especially our, our youngest, you know, toddlers and, and young primary students who are capable of a lot. Um, th- there is a lot that they can do independently. And I, um, I think, number one, often as parents, we don't recognize what they are capable of doing. And then even when we do recognize it, we don't always leave ourselves enough time. 
um, to ensure that they can do it for themselves. Once they can put their underwear on for themselves and once they can put their pants on for themselves, we don't always leave enough time for them to actually do that on their own. And so we're helping because of that. Yeah. And the long-term benefit for these small acts of independence were pretty significant, I assume? They're, they're pretty significant, number one, because anytime we're stepping in, you know, there's that the kind of famous Montessori line about young children is that what young children are thinking is, let me help me to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're pretty significant there because often when we try to step in and do things for young children that they can do on their own, we are providing an obstacle to their natural tendency. Their natural tendency is to want to figure out how to do it on their own. And so when we step in and try to help, that's where we might find ourselves in conflict with them. Um, So that's one like right away consequence (laughs) that we can have. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I'm just thinking I've got old children, so I'm trying to remember what we did, (laughs) but, uh, but I definitely have memories of, um, being sort of in charge of these yeah. moments. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, I, I still, my mind is still going to some elementary things, but I want to say one more okay. thing about uh, a, a real direct result of the practical life work that young children do. And, and this extends through life, I think, is that really it's through practical life activities that our children are learning how to be um, in control of their movements. Mm -hmm. And so when they are doing real activities that have real consequences, they are learning that if they walk too fast while they're carrying that pitcher of water, they might spill. And then they have to clean up the spill. And because they have to clean up the spill, and note to parents, make sure they do clean up the spill on their own. Um, But because they have that natural consequence, they internally think to themselves, okay, I'm going to be more careful next time. They, They get to a control of movement on their own through those practical life activities. That's probably the most important reason we do practical life is to help children with that control of movement piece. Um, When I go into primary classes, I've had teachers ask me, you know, over the years, come and say, I've got some, I've got some behavior challenges. Can you come in and observe and, and help? And the first thing I look at when I go in is how's the practical life scene going? You know, are they, is there rich practical life happening? Because it is that work that's helping children to control their movements, that's helping them to be aware of their movements and their body in the space. And it has the the most impact on behavior. Okay. Also. So let's sort of move up a little bit. So we mm-hmm. have these activities when they're very young. Talk about the elementary. What is it? What is practical life? And so we're making cupcakes uh, in the first plane. What's happening as they get older? Um, so we still have practical life activities in the elementary. Um, you know, the elementary children essentially are responsible for the care of their environments. And so they have jobs generally in their in their classrooms that they do on a regular basis to to um, take care of the classroom. They also, you know, if they spill or drop something and break it, they still are responsible for cleaning it up um, for that reason that they we want them to see what the natural consequence is if they, you know, aren't careful or if they drop or spill something. Um, and we want them to have that, you know, have to have to um, experience the that full consequence and and um, 
clean up their messes, right. essentially on their own. Um, in the elementary, we add, um, we consider our geography kind of curriculum, uh, the practical life curriculum of the elementary, because um, there are, it's, it's really where the experiment work happens. And so those experiments are considered kind of the practical life of, of elementary children. And what's happening is that the practical life is becoming a little bit more risky. Like a, there's a little healthy risk that's added there. They've got to work with fire and they work with some, with some chemicals that they have to be careful with. Can you give an example? Like we're building, we're building fires and we're playing with chemicals. What, what are, what are the activities? I will give an example that I saw just yesterday right. in one of the upper L classrooms. And this is a, um, there, there's similar work that happens in all elementary classrooms that's in their curriculum. Um, so I saw some children yesterday who were working with um, uh, cupric sulfate and water to make a saturated solution. Um, and then they were heating the water to make a super saturated solution. So when you heat liquids, they can absorb more solids than they can when they're at room temperature. Um, and so the children discover that. And so they're um, making these super saturated solutions and then they recool the solution and um, they drop some string in there upon which crystals of copper sulfate grow okay. um, because they are so this is kind of a series of experiments that they're doing but they're working with heat a heat source sometimes it's a bunsen burner fire and sometimes it's a um, little electric burner mm -hmm. um, but so they're working with that heat source and they're working with real chemicals cupric sulfate is a is a real chemical yeah. and um and so they've got to be careful and their their beakers get hot and they've got to use the tongs appropriately and they've got to be real careful as they're transferring their transferring their beaker from the heat source over to the counter to set it up for the crystallization crystallization part of the experiment um and so these experiments um, give the children the opportunity to continue to refine their movements and perfect their move movements and be careful um, with a little bit of added risk, a little bit of added like healthy, healthy risk. So you can draw kind of a straight line between cupcakes and that experiment. I can. I'm going to talk about cupcakes in a different way um, because Cupcakes, I would say, uh, you know, baking is an example of one type of work that children do in the elementary. Now, they do baking in the in the first plane classrooms also as a purely practical life activity. Here's how you, you know, here's how you can prepare food for yourself. Right. <laughs> in the elementary, baking falls into a different category. Um, it falls into a category that I call big work. And big work is is a way that children follow up on any lesson that they might have had. You can do big work as a follow up to a division lesson. You can do big work as a follow up to a, um, you know, a parts of speech lesson. You can do big work as a follow up to a, a leaf, a variety of leaf venation lesson. Really, you can do it as a follow up to anything. Um, any lesson you've had. So what big work is, is um, it is a, a, a large project <laughs> that generally incorporates more than one subject area skill. Um, and it also um, requires the children to work together. So because elementary children are such social beings, and this is what I was thinking about uh, around the 20,000 foot view, that for elementary children, 
what they are doing is wanting to learn how to become parts of the social environment. Um, and because they're such social beings, they want to be in practice with social skills all the time. And so we incorporate that into their work. And big work is a great example of that. Big work, as I said, they're, they're big projects that incorporate multiple subject area skills and that require collaboration. Um, they have to be working with a with a peer in order for it to really be big work. Um, I just was walking some people down to the um, lower L for some observations this morning, and I saw a couple of guys out um, on the deck of their classroom, and they had, a, I mean, maybe 27 pieces of graph paper that had been um, stapled together, and they were doing um, as many area of a rectangle drawings and problems as they possibly could. Um, I think there were really probably 30 rectangles at, that, at this point drawn and colored in and calculated. And I walked by and said, are you guys doing area of a rectangle? And they said, yes, we're about to try to figure out what 100 times 100 is. <laughs> and they're so excited. So that's an example of big work. And baking is um, an avenue that somebody might take to do big work. I, I have had people convince me that they can bake to follow up on just about every lesson I've, I have um, ever seen. I had a, a couple of years ago some children who were um, had learned uh, how to calculate the cube of a binomial. And they said, so after the lesson, I went around and said, okay, do you guys know what you want to do to follow up? And I had these this little group that said we're gonna make cupcakes and I was like all right talk talk me through that <laughs> how are you going to learn more about the cube of a binomial via your cupcakes and they explained to me that they were gonna make different cupcakes for the different sections of the cube of a binomial so there's the oh my gosh am I gonna remember all the terms <laughs> I probably not but so they had thought through we're going to make this kind of cupcake for the for a cube, and we're going to make this kind of cupcake for uh, a square b, and this kind of cupcake for a b square, and this kind for the b cube, and we'll have enough to kind of stack to build it up into an actual cube. And I was like, okay, you figured it out, guys. Yeah. Yes, that is how you will bake to learn about cupcakes yeah. or excuse me bake to learn it cupcake cubing <laughs> to learn about cubing yeah so let's sort of start here which is it can be confusing for parents mm -hmm. that things like baking or sewing or you know even making a haunted house right um is actually work academic intellectual work mm -hmm. so let's break it down can you overlay some of the more traditional language academic language that a student might encounter in elementary school math and, and science and writing and and other things like presentations and public speaking all of that can you overlay some of that language on top of practical life so that parents understand and we all understand the hard work and the deep learning enduring learning that might be happening in those experiences. Sure. Um, so I, I'll, I'll start by going through this baking, the baking example that I just described. Um, and so in that case, these children were baking cupcakes um, and, 
And they were also doing the cubing work. So let's just start with that. They were working on the formula for cubing, uh, cubing a binomial. And so that is algebra work. So they're practicing algebra. Um, and while doing that, they also have decided that they're going to bake cupcakes. And as I said, they were baking a variety of different kinds of of cupcakes and so they needed to make you know the right number of cupcakes to make enough however many they were going to need to make the a cube excuse me of maybe vanilla cupcakes and however many they were going to need to make the b cube of chocolate cupcakes and so in doing that work they had to both um they had to both um, increase the recipe and decrease the recipe for the different ones. So that, and so in order to increase the recipe, they are having to practice multiplying fractions um, to get the right measurements of all their ingredients. And in order to decrease the recipe, they have to practice dividing fractions in order to get the correct, you know, ingredients that they need. So they're doing lots of fractions work. Um, and then once they finish that work, they often um, are presenting it to a group, especially if they've got baked goods. Right. And so in that presentation, they've got to explain how their creation demonstrates the, the formula for the cube of a binomial. And they've got to explain that to a group of friends. They often, they often um, write in addition, they might write up an explanation of how it goes. Um, they often have um, additional signage or illustrations um, that go with it. So they're practicing, um, you know, art skills also. Um, and that this is really just one example. And so this example incorporates a number of different math skills um, with also public speaking and performance skills with, um, you know, and, and possibly writing skills and, and other artistic skills. Right. So, I mean, is the idea behind it that this kind of experience is going to lead to a deeper and more enduring, memorable learning experience where this, uh, the concepts will become more cemented into their lives because they're actually physically doing something. I'm just remembering yeah. all of the math work that I trudged through and none of it stuck and now I am trying to hang a picture on the wall and I can't calculate how many inches I'm supposed to move from the corner of the wall. Like none of it, none of it lasted. Yeah. Um, is the theory here that it will last? Yes. And so number one, they, what this big work gives them is the opportunity to regu regularly apply their learning in real life experiences. Regularly. They have the opportunity to do that all the time. Um, and the other thing, it, well, well, here's the way I really think about that. You know, when artists are um, are learning a bunch of different skills that that they need in order to become successful painters, they're learning how to sketch out what they're looking at. They're learning how to mix the colors that they need. They're learning how to see the relationships between objects. They're learning how to demonstrate perspective. And one of the tools that artists use to practice all those skills together that they've learned is called the still life, right? They set up a little still life tableau um, and then they have to draw it and they have to mix the colors in order to paint it and they have to use their perspective skills that they know in order to get the proportions right, etc. That's the way that I think of this big work in, element, in elementary. It is, it is like 
giving themselves opportunities to practice all the skills that they're learning as they're going through the learning practice the learning process. And when I say all the skills they're learning, I mean several academic skills. And I mean incorporated with that social, the social skills of negotiating who's going to do which job and um, how, how are they going to collaborate? What do they want the final project to look like? And can everybody agree on that? And, and you know, all of the social work that goes along with doing big group projects like right. that. Yeah, it's all integrated. Um, all right, so we spent a lot of time. We're going to cut it here. We'll have more conversations like this. Um, I just want to thank Minnie for joining. I want to encourage anybody out there listening um, to visit our website. It's groundedandsoaring.org. We'll have social media channels and all the rest. Um, and if you have suggestions of topics you want us to cover, um, just email us at groundedandsoaring at marinmontessori.org. So thank you, Minnie, and we'll do this again sometime soon. Great. Thanks so much. 